When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mac, what's happening? You put on a sport coat for the podcast. <laughs> Look, this is what they told me to do. They said I had to be professional. Oh, man. <laughs> so I said, you know, what the hell? The big girls love that. Chicks love the last shot opportunity. Somebody give me a napkin so I can wipe my mouth. All right, another episode of the Cedric Maxwell podcast. Cedric Maxwell's here. I am Josue Pavone, and we have a very, very special guest, a very special conversation between Cedric Maxwell and... My conversation. Had a great one today with Ray Allen, a Hall of Famer, Celtic great. Uh, just a great conversation that's been overdue for the longest time. We discuss so many different topics. It's going to be a must-listen and this is brought to you by Bet Online and Awaken 180. Enjoy it, guys. You know, how you been doing, man? We gonna we gonna start into this thing. How you been doing during this pandemic? You know, it's it doesn't matter where you live. Uh, four walls, you end up becoming a prisoner to your own space uh, because you know we're so used to getting out into the world and touching people, going places, like having lunches, whatever it may be, and you sit at home and it's just like. Those walls, they, you know, no, no, no matter how big your house is, they start to cave in on you. Well, one thing I always knew about you, and I, you got to help me out here, because you ran every day for 10 miles. You, you stopped that now with the pandemic? No, I just ran today. I got 10 in a day. You know? how, how do you do that? Just go out on the beach or you run around your neighborhood? Yeah, I just run uh, through the neighborhood. So um, I left, I probably left the house about, it was about 7.15, and wow. you know, I was out there. Nobody was on the streets. Um, today, I ran 10 miles. It was a little bit more than I had oh. been running, uh, but I wanted to you know, push a little bit. Uh, I probably bit off a little more than you know, I would have liked, but I had to get home. <laughs> one thing that you know, I'm, I'm going to start out kind of easy with this thing, Ray, because one thing, I've always been such a big fan. And the reason I've been such a big fan because I've always felt I was just like you. When you came to the Celtics, you were like that third person. When I came to the Celtics with Larry Bird and McKip, people actually kind of forget about Ray. And it seemed like it was Paul and, you know, Paul and KG. And, and, and I always knew it was you. How do you feel about that? Um, you know, it didn't bother me. Uh, it wasn't about you know, I never did or played a game uh, for a pat on the back. It was all about myself and how I felt about, you know, me doing my job and, you know, being here and being able to be counted on. And um, I think when we got thrust in situations where uh, it was time to win games, I knew that the ball had to come around my way. And and for me, that was probably the biggest um, – I don't know, the, 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 the greatest compliment from either the opposing team or, or, or my own team because they knew that if it was a technical foul or if it was just a free throw down the stretch that, you know, they had to find me at some point. So that to me is the greatest compliment because it, it really is not about how you start the game, but, you know, having those your best five in that particular game finish it, that, that's the thing. And I think the true – uh basketball head people that love the game you know i've had people come up to me since i've been retired and say to me and tell me things that i would do during the game you know my pre-game routine uh some people would come to the arena and just watch the things i do or did and and i knew that they actually watched because they would describe it to me and, and that was something that you know it created a pre-game ritual for them for them as well, because now they're locked in. Like, I got to go watch this because if I don't, we're going to lose. So it's things like that that are bigger than, 
somebody saying, hey, you know, I'm going to this guy because he's got a million votes for All-Star for the All-Star weekend uh, starters, but more importantly, someone who's contributed and committed to his craft and gives people uh, the hope and ability in their own, own game that they can do the same things. Well, one thing I have to ask you about, and you talk about shots and being ready. Take me through this. The greatest shot, I call it, the greatest shot in playoff history. I think you shot it. And I keep talking about it over and over again. That you had, you hit the greatest shot. Well, I hate it was with Miami, but yeah. I feel the fact that you hit one of the greatest shots in NBA history. Can you talk about it? Do you remember it? What do you remember so well about it? Because everybody talks about what I talk about all the time is I said, Ray Allen had to catch it. Go back behind the line. Toe was behind the line. Everybody was holding their breath to see. And then you had did exactly like you've done for thousands and thousands of shots. Yeah, and there was a natural progression uh, to my career uh, going from, um, you know, starting in college, you know, people said that I couldn't get my own shot off. And then I got to Milwaukee and I learned to play this up-tempo game where, you know, we were, we were Golden State before Golden State existed. You know, in Milwaukee, we shot fast and they said it couldn't be done. You couldn't win that way. And then I get shipped out to Seattle to an even younger team where we had this run and gun style where, you know, we had great shooters, you know, guys that could really play. And it was where I kind of honed my leadership skills. And at the same time, I got the opportunity to really shoot the ball to score to then going to Boston where all that was kind of reeled in. Like I didn't have the opportunity to shoot and score as much, but what, what didn't change was how I uh, approached the game, how I prepared for the game, because I know I knew then just like I knew in Seattle at some point it was going to come down to free throws, which it always does. Or you got to hit a three-pointer to win a game. And it's not necessarily always you, but everybody has to be uh, prepared and alert. So uh, coming down to 2013 in that final um, moment, you, we wouldn't be talking about it if I missed a shot, Max. Just yeah, yeah, know. yeah. Um, so I can hey, tell you. Hey, you know what? How about this? All the fans had left the game before you hit the shot. <laughs> yeah, and – you know, that, and that, that's an indictment on, you know, the culture, the, the Miami culture here, because there's still a young franchise, you know, unlike Boston, where you have generations of fans, you know, you, you think about going back to the 50s and people who watched uh, Russell and Cousy play. So it's indoctrinated into your, uh, to your family. So you grow up in it and you're watching it and you watch championship basketball then and span the generations and you watch it forever. So Miami is still going through that process of, you know, you, you just retired D Wade's number and he was your first player that's won you three championships. So now you see where they go from that to the next generation and do they win and, and, and you start to build that culture. Uh, it's also easier when you're in Miami to, if the game doesn't go the way you want to kind of turn the page and do something different, you know, when you're up, go out in, to the beach, baby. <laughs> and when you're up in, when you're up in Chicago, Philly, New York, Boston, you ride or die with, with basketball because that's your team in the winter and you have nothing else to do. So it can be depressing if you, if you have a, a bad team. So in, in 13, it was like, I, I was in a situation now where I was, I was so prepared. It wasn't like I needed to, do anything like lines or I know these lines, like the, the lines on my, the palm of my hand, you know, I've been there, I know where the basket is. And so the thing that reminds me or, or I'm always reminded of in that situation and for any future situation I get thrust in, I can do anything that I want to do uh, and be good at it as long as I prepare. And that was just me preparation. If you collect all the years I've, played over the course of the games I played, the teams I played on, the situations I've been in. It was, for me, I could have, and we wouldn't be having this conversation, but the fact that I made it, we're having this conversation. But I, I can tell you millions, or I'd say, you know, a 10 to 20 shots that I've missed that, that, that cost us uh, games over the course of my career. So 
I just learned that, you know, you got to get back on the horse. You got to ride again. And you always have the, the next shot is the most important shot. Well, the thing I, I'll ask you going on forward now will be your relationship and your battles that I saw over the years going against Kobe Bryant. And I know how close you were, but I know how far you were from him. And it just seems that you're the kind of guy I need to talk about. Yeah. And, you know, the game passes you by. And I just remember being a young guy, Kobe and I were riding on the bus. Um, we were going to uh, the combine in Chicago and we happened to land in the airport together and we were sitting on the bus and, you know, Kobe was, he was, uh, he was a young guy. He was 18 years old and he, he admired me, looked up to me because he had watched me in, in college. Uh, Kobe and, and Rip played against each other. And now Rip is going to UConn. Kobe's getting drafted into the NBA. So we had this, uh, he just had this, this, um, this young excitement, this enthusiasm about him to come into Lee and uh, improve himself. Um, so that's the Kobe I always remember whenever I played against him. Uh, you know, we always competed, and obviously he wanted to always prove to people that he was better than me because I was drafted higher than him. Um, but that's, that's probably the source behind our, our rivalry you know, we had an intense rivalry in, uh, when I played in Seattle and uh, then obviously playing in the finals in Boston. So it just, it just seemed as though we had so much, you know, going in. We, we came in together and we went in different directions. So it just seemed like there's a point where you could just sit down and, you know, that 30 for 30 comes out and you get a chance to sit down with your family somewhere on the beach somewhere and just kind of conversate about, you know, everything that you went through and, you know, there's things that he had to deal with and in the year we beat him in, in 08 and then when they beat us in, in, in 2010, like to be able to share those stories and the year in between, it, it never will come to fruition. And it's just, it's, it was sad to me to know that that conversation will never, never be had because wasn't like I had anything against him. I just loved competing against him. I wanted to beat him as much as he wanted to beat me. So um, it just was, you, you think about it, it's like, wow, we played a game for a living for our whole lives. And, and I think in a lot of situations, Max, when you're playing in a, in a city like Boston and LA is, has this, this, this huge rivalry and you're, to some extent, you're made to hate anything. <laughs> you know how it is. Yes. And, you know, but when you get removed from it, you realize, like, who, what is it that I really hate? I don't hate you. I don't dislike you for anything. We just played a game of basketball, and we won one against you. You won one against us. And, you know, it was a great battle. And, you know, you just kind of walk away from it and just appreciate the competition and the lessons learned. But you, you can't walk away from it with any, you know, ill will or um, – any anger because somebody's got to get the best of somebody at some point, you know, and then you, you look at, you know, I always make the reference to, uh, to Russell. I don't know what year he retired, but if you think about that, um, so you're talking about 50 years, I wasn't even alive when he retired. So he, he, he has a whole new existence and what he did on the floor is giving him, you know, the ability to move through to the world and be a living legend and be an ambassador for the game of basketball. And he, you don't see Bill Russell talking about a game that he played or a player that he played against. It's just about his, his ability to have an impact on the game while he played it that, it that is so long lasting now, 50 years after he retired. As I told you on Twitter, I'm finally doing something about my weight and my health. I found a solution for weight loss and it's Awaken 180. My friends in the media told me about Awaken 180. It's their go-to program to lose weight without killing yourself in the gym or taking any kind of medication. Just listen to the success stories. My boy, Kyle Draper, he dropped 30 pounds. Andy Grish dropped 105. And that's not it. Scott Zolak, Steve Logan, 
Dan Reeves, Dr. Laura R. Carmen, and add Cedric Maxwell to the list. It's only been about three weeks and I've already dropped about 15 pounds. Turn these trying times into a reason to get healthy like me. Call Awaken. Receive the same one-on-one coaching I'm getting at home or on Skype. Also access 1,000 recipes and tools you need to weight loss from the company who has revolutionized the weight loss industry. Set up your first consultation today at awaken180weightloss.com. Well, you're, you're just the opposite. Whatever doctor you went to, I need to go there because <laughs> I'm the opposite. I don't like the Lakers. I don't like, I, I don't like all those guys. I don't like Worthy. You know, the 30 for 30 was real. We're still talking noise right now. So whatever you, wherever you went, I, I need to go there because I, I didn't get that, that in my memo. I didn't get that. Well, what I mean. Were you, what were you today? Do you remember where you were at? And we all do when you found out that Kobe Bryant had passed away? Um, well, you know, you know, just to make reference to, you know, you, you know, you thinking about all the, the things and players of your past, tell you what, I know you say it jokingly and, and lightheartedly, but it's, we can't get it back. It's just like, you know, how we compare generations, you know, you think about, you know, people are like, well, who's the best? Like, which player is is the best shooter? And who's the best dunker of all times? And who's this and that? And I was like, the numbers, the, the, the numbers will lie to you uh, because the numbers, the game changes. So the numbers never represent, you know, you can't make a comparison through numbers. But even more so, it's just like a tennis shoe. Like, you remember the shoes you wore when you played. Yeah. That doesn't mean that those shoes were, were terrible because you played them then they meant something to you and they might be your favorite shoes based on what they meant to you while you were growing up. Uh, Cause for nostalgic purposes, I think everybody feels the way they do about that player, about that team, about that particular shoe, because it was something that meant something to them when they were growing up. And that to me, you can't argue with a person over nostalgia. Um, so, you know, in, in present day, you know, I think about, things that mean something to me and how they've affected me growing up. And that's always going to be the case. And that's why I don't argue with people who have opinions about who they think uh, the greatest player of all times was or the greatest shooter. But uh, to answer your second question, uh, I had a, I had a uh, golf event that I had to participate in a shootout in Hawaii. And uh, I was, so I was, I flew from Miami uh, to Phoenix and I landed in Phoenix about 10, 15, and I had to wait an hour. Uh, actually, it was 30 minutes. So uh, we were a little delayed, and I was getting on the plane. And I remember trying to rush and get some water for the plane. Uh, and didn't think anything of it. I just got on the plane, and we, we took off. It was about 11, 15, and my gate literally was across the, the hall from uh, – my departure gate was – Crossed the hall from uh, how I arrived, where I arrived, and so it was another six hours uh, to Hawaii, you know, from Phoenix, which I didn't know was that long, but it it, it was longer than I expected. And then I was sitting, and I kind of looked over, you know, we were about to land, and I was looking over at the uh, at the water in Hawaii, and I kind of looked over the seat. There, the woman she had turned the phone on, and and I seen Kobe Bryant in her phone. And I didn't think anything of it other than, you know, something Kobe must've said something uh, because she sounded like she was having a conversation uh, about Kobe Bryant. And then I turned my phone on and then I was walking off the plane and every, I, I must, I had about 60 text messages, you know, because I had been in the air for six and a half hours and this happened you know, within the first 30, 45 minutes of when I took off in Phoenix, because I started playing over my head when it happened. And, um, you know, you think of all the things you could have done, like call them, like you just tell people to be safe all the time, because we, we say be safe, you know, stay healthy, be safe, especially now during this pandemic. But those those words, you know, they're, they really mean something like you got to be safe out in the streets and you want people to think about what they're doing. Don't rush. Don't um, take things for granted. Pay attention on the streets like there are other crazy people that you got to protect yourselves from. So 
when I landed, I started looking at my phone and my wife said, I need you to call me as soon as your phone comes on. Cause she was nervous because I was, I was flying longer than she had expected. So everybody called me and then, you know, I was walking through the, the, the terminal in, 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 uh, in Kona and I just couldn't believe it. You know, I couldn't believe it. And, and it was kind of, it was tough because I was around a lot of people that wanted to have conversations just about basketball, about random stuff. And I was getting my bags and I couldn't have a conversation. You know, I couldn't talk. I was like, I'm sorry, but this, I, I, I don't want to talk right now. Cause I was trying to kind of understand this, you know, was this real? Like you hear stuff like this all the time um, to see someone so young uh, be removed from, the earth is tough. You know, he has so much life to live and, you know, you start to think, wow, this could have been anybody, you know, this could be us. You know, you think about what you, what your kids would go through, what they'd have to deal with. And I was like, I was in the wrong place. You know, what better place to be in was Hawaii because it's so beautiful. But then I was so far away from my family that I felt, I guess I'm supposed to be here for a reason, but it's tough to be here and be alone in my family because they're struggling with this as well. Right. Right. It just seems like to me, I just remember hearing the call and we were actually, I think we were going to play the game in uh, New Orleans at the time. And then to talk to a couple of players and see the shocked look on their face and even Jalen Brown, I talked to him about it and I turned to him. I said, Jalen, I said, tough news. And the way he looked at me, it, it almost hurt me because Jalen said, I never met him. I, I, I never met Kobe. And that to me was like, wow. I, I, you know, I just assumed that most of the players had met, all the great players had met Kobe before, and that didn't happen. And, and the way it was, I felt like I wanted to be a dad and pull him in, like hug him and say, you know, son, it's going to be okay. But it just shows you how much life changes, you know, with you and, and, and the people you're around. I'm going to ask you a question about, you know, your day, continue on. The difference, talk about Boston, but I want you to talk about the comparison between Boston and Miami, not as fan base, but the players you played with. You had KG and you had Paul and you had Rondo. And then you, you transition and you go to LeBron and then you play with D-Wade, younger players. And I remember one thing, I talked to D-Wade about you and we were talking about clothes. And D-Wade thinks he's a fashionista, you already know that. And I would say, man, Ray's the cleanest brother I know. He said, what? Grandpa Ray, the suits he wears? And I was just like, I was just shocked. But how did you, those, you know, bring that together with those young guys and the older guys and you transitioning over there? Well, uh, let's take it uh, back even a step further. I always say basketball-wise, one of the, the tougher decisions that I had to make when I was um, in Seattle was, you know, signing an extension there. And, you know, we had a successful season and I was a free agent and not until playing in Miami and Boston, did I realize how we weren't prepared in Seattle in Milwaukee, we were set up, you know, we could have won if, if we, you know, we were, we were very close. Uh, but in Seattle, we weren't close and the organization wasn't moving in a direction to, to put us in a position to win. And I didn't realize that until I went to Boston because I saw what it was like and what it was to be on a championship team. Even though we hadn't won yet, the habits of all the guys that, that I played with, um, you know, and, and primarily uh, KG, um, you know, he was starving, you know, he had, been so disappointed in, in being in, um, in, in Minnesota and his, his work ethic was very similar to mine. Like he knew, uh, he, he felt like he wasn't good enough. So he had to go in there every day and work or else he wouldn't be able to do what he needed to do. And, uh, Paul, Paul followed suit with, with who we were. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of sports, events, and games to wager on, or let them bring Vegas to you with their online casino and blackjack. All open 24 hours a day and all online, including their $750,000 poker series. If you're into props and entertainment betting, you can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, even the weather. 
Visit the website or use your mobile device and join today to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Be sure to use the promo code CLNS50. Bet online, your online wagering app. Well, you guys made, you guys seem like you made Paul grow into another player. You know, when he was here and I saw him play all these years, playing with even Antoine, yeah, Paul kind of took it another way. But when you got there and Ray, I mean, and, and Kevin was there, it's like he transitioned to the captain and, and to a whole nother player. Well, he 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 certainly paid paid attention. I think that, you know, for Paul, most of the, most of his career, he he had been with a lot of younger players, and it was almost like sea biscuit mentality, where once he saw once he saw like me come in, you know, Paul would always talk trash about things that I was doing, but then you would always see he would gradually uh, start doing them. You know, he'd always talk trash about what I was eating, why I'm eating that, or how come I'm in the training room. I would start on one table and I'd end up on the other table. He's like, "Damn, you gonna you gonna touch every table?" I was like, "This is what it takes to to exist for." you know, like you got to take care of yourself. And I think for most of his career, he was around younger players that didn't give him the ability to see what it is to be successful. So he was the one that was setting the tone um, every, every night, you know, night in, night out. Once we got there, you know, for him, it was easy because he, he felt like there are times where, you know, he could cruise, but then when he, when Paul and I got, or Kevin and I got there, you know, you, you couldn't, this is what we did every single day. It wasn't like, you know, Tuesday we could take off or Thursday we take off. It was my, it was an everyday thing. And, you know, we were just religious because we knew we didn't want to win. And so when we got there, you can tell he, he certainly, you know, saw, you know, the example set. And then, you know, we still had young players, you know, at the end of the roster, you know, Rondo was trying to find his own, and and then we had Big Baby who was trying to learn to be have an impact on uh, the NBA. Uh, Herc was trying to come into his, own and you know, so a lot of those guys were taking cues from you know the example that we set. Um, I think the difference in once I went to Miami, the difference was there was only there was only one person really that was trying to make a name for himself or, and you could throw Norris Cole in there coming off the bench. But, uh, uh, Mario Chalmers was the one guy who was in a rotation that was young, but you know, he was still, he was still a guy that had to follow so many other guys because, you know, this locker room that I was in was, it had veterans from top to bottom. You know, you're talking about, you know, Jawan Howard, you know, at the time he had, I think 18 years, in the NBA, and then you got guys like James Jones and Shane Battier and Mike Miller uh, and and Birdman and Rashard Lewis. You know, you, you got guys that have played, you know, great basketball on other teams for a long time. So you can go in any direction when it comes to, you know, who you're going to play. So, it, you know, oftentimes I know it had to be difficult for Spolster because – you, you got so many great shooters that you can put in the game and you had to kind of deal with those, those egos. But, you know, for the most part, a lot of guys, they were professional and, and, and everybody wanted to win. I'll, I'll uh, talk about even that when you talk about players that you played with, played against, but you look back over your career, man, what a career. I remember you, did you ever think you'd be the all time three point shoot shooting leader and I remember shooting that shot, knocking it down that day. And where you came from initially when you were in college, you were like a mid-range jump shooter. And then your game turned into this long-distance bombs. It was crazy. Well, I, I'll tell you, I remember um, Heather Walker came up to me, you know, two years before I, I got the, the three-point record. And she said, you know, you, if you stay on this pace, you know, you, you'll be the all-time leader in, in, uh, in threes, man. Now, I looked at it, I was like, me? How? <laughs> like, how? Like, that certainly was, wasn't a goal of mine. That wasn't something that I was trying to do. It just, you know, I didn't think I shot more threes than anybody else. Uh, I know I had some years in Seattle where we got the ball up and we shot it quick. But, you know, I didn't think that I did anything – you know, that was otherworldly, you know, I just was consistent. And 
I like to think that I got to the basket as much as I shot threes. Um, so I, I didn't change my game at all. You know, when I was in Milwaukee, I had Ben Baker and Glenn Robinson early in my career where I had to stay spaced and I shot more threes than, than I would have liked otherwise. So um, it just – it came on me and, you know, here I am. It, it became this thing. And so it goes back to my earlier point when we were talking about um, – about records and things that, that I've done and about comparisons. It's like I, people will say who the best shooter of all times is based on what, what that person meant to them based on games they watched. But I will say that, that I remember standing the free throw line and I was underneath the basket. And uh, I think Birdman was in new Orleans at the time. And he looked over to me, he says, man, that was really cool. You know, you know, you get a three-point record like that. That man, that that game was awesome. And you know, you don't think that other people are really watching them around the league. You know, guys are watching games, but you know, other people have lives and things going on. So for him to say that at that time, I was like, wow. Okay, I appreciate that. That's you know something. You know, you you recognize another player's greatness out there on the floor. Um, but even more so, the 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 reverberation that is sent down through the college world and the high school world because all these young guys are watching this on TV. And now you just, I just gave them something to aspire to, to be, you know, it's a record now that they say, okay, that's going to be me someday, you know, because now so much uh, importance, such a spotlight was placed on it. Now they're like, this is something that I'm about to go out there and get. So now I see so many guys shooting three ball now, and, and, and the one thing I said when I started this game is I was like, I wanted to have an impact on this game in the time that I played it to when the time I left. Because other than that, there's nothing else you can't do. You can't talk yourself into mm-hmm. records after you retired. You know, you hear some of these guys start saying how they're better than this player and they should be a Hall of Famer and this and that. And it's like, you can't talk yourself into Hall of Fame or into an All-Star game after you retired. Like, you... You didn't put, leave it all out on the floor. There's nothing more left that you can do now that you're retired. You, you hopefully left it all on the floor when you played. Well, what a transition that was because that's great because I'm going to talk about your guy, KG, and now that he's going to go into the Hall of Fame and he's going to have his number retired here in Boston. I'll read one thing that Doc Rivers said. Doc Rivers said, Ray Allen, when he comes back to Kevin Garnett's retirement, he's going to get the greatest ovation. Your feeling about that? Um, I don't know why Doc is saying that. I don't know why he's um, – I know he's speculating and hope that I am there. Um, and, you know, I think it's – for Kevin, it's well-deserved that he uh, gets his jersey retired, and I'm, I'm proud of him. Uh, most people, what they – I'm sure some people know, but most people don't know that Kevin was – he was always like my young brother. Uh, growing up uh, in South Carolina. So to see how far, you know, we both have come uh, from those days in South Carolina and for him to get his jersey retired in Boston is is an amazing accomplishment. You know, I used to always say, like, when you walk into the garden and you see all those jerseys up there, you know, all those great players, like, you know, I don't think in sports you see that, you know, on any team, you know, just the the, the legends that go up in those Raptors. So for him to have his name up there, it's an amazing accomplishment and then uh, to be announced to the Hall of Fame. Again, I, I remember him when he was 14 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as far as me uh, being there, um, <clears throat> I think that is, you know, a, a subject that is really undecided uh, yet. Uh, it would take uh, Kevin and I to have a conversation, you know, moving forward. Um, and as, as you know, when I left, um, I left as a free agent. Um, I left um, because, you know, there were so many un- unresolved issues that the team wasn't uh, considering or, you know, willing to change. You know, as a free agent, you want to know that the team is going to do the things you know they need to do. And so um, what is it now? It's, it's 2020. So you're, you're talking about, you know, nine years now. Um, and, you know, I've gotten so much hate, death threats, vitriol from uh, from Boston fans, from, you know, obviously these guys have 
kind of removed me from the big three, said so many negative things about me. And I have had one negative thing to say about, you know, any of them, you know, we could talk about, you know, the things that we went through, you know, we've had tough times. We're brothers. We went through a lot, yeah. uh, but that doesn't change anything that we've done. And so it just, it, it did, it hurt me, you know, over the course of this time, just to hear, you know, just some of the things that have been said, it is like, you know, we're supposed to be celebrating you know, these times, you know, having one in 2008, we're supposed to be celebrating and talking about all the great times, but instead, you know, they want to be mad at me because I left and, and went to Miami. As, um, as a free agent though, you got to yeah. add that in as a free agent. Just like, you know, it, it, I, I always say, you know, it was one of the, after in 2008, we were at the ESPYs and we were, we were, coming downstairs and, and found out that, that Posey had uh, signed with New Orleans. And, we, you know, we had no idea, no inkling. And we were like, Pose, we come downstairs, like, you signed with New Orleans. What happened? He was like, you know, Danny wouldn't give me the, the fourth year, um, something. I don't know if it was the third or fourth year, but he was like, Danny wouldn't give it to me. So New Orleans offered it to me. And so I was like, well, I, I, I'm not mad at you because – you know, our situation at the time, we're okay. You know, that's what you got to deal with in your family because you're going through free agent. And that's the situation you have to deal with. You know, I can't, I can't live in that man's house and tell him how to do his business. And, and to me, that was, that was like, you, that's what I always knew. And that's what I always expected. Like you, you, it's a business that we all got to make sure that we are on the right side of our families and on the right side of who we are to be able to go out there and do our job. So when it came to it and, you know, we were trying to get this deal done and everything kind of somewhat went awry. And now all of a sudden the backlash came from, and I was like, wait a minute, what happened to being a free agent? And, you know, you moving on, like you had every opportunity to make sure I stayed and everybody knew about this, you know, all year. Cause we tried to negotiate, um, you know, during the year, but it was told to us that we're going to wait till the season ends. So, you know, so be it. So, you know, to me, it just, it's just, it's been disappointing just to know that when you spend time with people and you share so much, you know, all the stuff that's been said, like, you know, I've been over everybody's house, you know, I've had everybody over my house. Like we've spent so many days, our families together. And then for this, to be where it is because they're mad at me because I left. This is very disappointing. I think that in my mind, I hope you come back. I am, I, and, and I understand where you're at because when I left Boston, when, when I got traded to the Clippers, I felt like my teammates talked about me in a negative way. And I, I started thinking about all those years that we won championships together, all the things we, we had done. All I wanted them to do, and I'm sure this is the same way for you, once you got, once you decide to go, wish me luck because I'm going to wish you luck. Yeah. And I think that's what really killed me about hearing certain things said about me at the end of the day that was disappointing when I didn't see somebody step up. And I've heard different things about KG and he lost your number and Ray didn't do this. But mm -hmm. I thought that, I thought that was a facade because yeah. I thought, that you guys, especially what you're saying, two guys from South Carolina, you would never have that in your DNA. Because we know how it is being in the South where you play. It's a kinship that you have. When you win championships together, it's a kinship, it's a bond. Nobody can ever take it away from you. And I just remember me as a broadcaster sitting there watching you guys. And even after you won your first championship here, that second year was even more special. You guys were 23, 25 and three before KG got hurt. Mm -hmm. I thought you were on your way to win 70 games that year, the way yeah. you were playing. So I guess I'm saying I, I, I understand where you're at, and I hope that KG reaches out, you reach out. However it's done, I hope that you come back because I was just like you. I said I would never come back to Boston. I always felt that in my mind. And then when Larry Bird has had his retirement, they asked me, so you're going to come back? And I said, man, I don't know. I, I'm not really feeling it. Maybe my fans, teammates. Are, and at the end of the day, when I did come back, 
it was maybe the best decision I had made because I think you just, after a while, you learned that those people didn't, 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 they booed you because I think they loved you. If you're, you know, if you're insignificant, if you're not, then you just go about your way. But because they loved you so much, I think they felt they were hurt. But they didn't understand, to me, the business of the game. Because all I've seen from Ray Allen was total professional, guy who played the game, who set an example, won championships. And at the end of the day, I still remember you in, in um, we were in actually L.A. You were out by the swimming pool, and they were talking about trading you that day. Yep. And I remember you sitting out by the pool in L.A., I have never seen somebody so calm in my life when they start talking about trading. And you had this, the rest of the year, you didn't get traded, and you had this unbelievable shooting run that you went on. So I kind of understand where you're at, but again, I hope you come back. Yeah, and it's it's, it's something that you, you, I don't, I'm not one of those people that, you know, you get so stubborn and you don't, I've been stubborn, I should stay, say over the course of my life, but you know, <laughs> Once you have kids, you realize that you can't be stubborn. You have to grow and you have to evolve and you have to adapt. And, you know, the things that you go through, you know, it, it's you, you, you I, my, my character has been assassinated, you know, yeah. often, you know, and it's not just, you know, through this situation, like people don't know who you are. They mistake you for something that you said, like, I don't have any ill will towards anybody. Um, my intentions were always to win basketball games and, and and oftentimes I got the blame because if if it was something that I wasn't doing or something that I was doing and something somebody else wasn't doing then it was easier to to point the blame at me because I could take it you know right. I have broad shoulders I can take it I can deal with it you know you could yell at me all day long and it's not gonna cause me to feel any kind of way it's just what you need to do to get this team going and so oftentimes, you know, you, you, you push me in situations where I, over time, you, you erupt. And I, I had two, two sayings where, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the oil and, right. and empty cans make a lot of noise. noise. And so I had to make sure that I wasn't an empty can. So when I spoke, you know, I was speaking from a position of, of real worth and, and, and understanding. And, and merit and then I had to make sure that I stood up and spoke for myself when the time came for them to respect me and what it was that I brought to them on the floor and I think at times I didn't do that and so you you get to a situation where everybody says stuff like oh he'll he will be all, all right you know he's going to be okay and I always found myself in a situation where yeah I will be okay but how come my thoughts and my feelings don't matter in certain situations. And so that is always a classic example to remember, like, don't just assume someone is okay, your kids, whatever, like you got to communicate with them. You got to have a conversation with them and make sure that they are okay. And to let them know that you're thinking about them and you know, the sacrifice they're making or how well they're playing or just whatever it may be, whether it's the starting five guys on the bench, like your strength coach, like things like that, because, if you run a team and you hope to be a championship team, you got to make sure that everybody is of championship caliber and everybody's mind has to be strong and ready to move forward. And I think that's what ultimately ends up happening is once you start winning, everybody wants a, a piece of, of the, the, the large pie. You know, when you, when you win, when we win in 2008, you know, you get to the point where you have young players and now all-star teams want to be made and uh, more minutes need to be had. And, you know, it's just, it's like, no, you actually have to go back to doing what you were doing. And we all have to appreciate that and respect that. And I think it's so much that you learn over the course of um, your career and then sitting back being retired and thinking about it. It's like, I'm fortunate that I won twice, you know, and I don't compare the two because each, each year's, presented their own dilemmas and, and, and hardships. Uh, but I don't compare the two and, and I cherish both of them. Uh, but in the same token, everybody I played with allowed me to, to grow, you know, even the negative relationships I had, they learned, they allowed me to grow and understand who I needed to be moving forward and how to be a better leader. But 
because, you know, when we lost games, Max, you were on the plane. We talked more after we lost than, you know, after we won. Like, yeah, we'd be celebrating or listening to music when we won, but we had more real conversations after we lost because we knew we wanted to get it, get it figured out. I mean, this wasn't coach mandated. It was because we were ultimate competitors and we wanted to find out what the best scenario was going forward. I, I think that's really why, you know, why I started out this conversation, why I felt so kindred to you, because I, it was the same way when I had Bill Fitch and I was here playing with Larry Bird. There were many days where he yelled at me about a defensive assignment mm-hmm. and it was Larry's guy. Yeah. <laughs> Well, why aren't you yelling at him? Yeah. I didn't do anything. And it made me feel like, but as you said, I think that's the difference. And I think, again, because you and I are alike, both military fathers, that there's certain things about that that they put stuff on your shoulders. Mm-hmm. And they put it on your shoulders for a reason, because you can take it. But like you said, too, it comes a time when you get tired of taking it. Not yeah. that you can't take it, but it's just sometimes you just like, Man, you know, I've had enough. Okay, do this to somebody else or at least come to me and talk to me about it and say yeah, it. Be, be fair. Yeah. Be fair across the board. That's the thing that, that, that disappointed me the most when I was gone was nobody, you know, because it, it, I even had this conversation with Stephen A. Smith on SportsCenter because he, just because, you know, four or five guys were having a conversation about me, he he took everything for what, they were saying as truth and as facts. And I said, you know, he's almost questioned me saying that I was a bad teammate. And I said, I said, so every time you came in the locker room, I sat down, spoke to you, gave you whatever you need. We had a conversation. Like you guys would always say I'm a consummate professional. And the minute somebody else says something about me, all of a sudden you, you lose everything that you talked to me about and have said about me, you know, just in that, 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 two minutes, all of a sudden you're believing everything and you throw me underneath the bus. It was like, what bothered me was that more people, you know, just, it it became one-sided. It was like one side was saying all these bad things about me and nobody protected or even defended me and said, no, Ray wasn't a bad teammate. Ray wasn't a problem in the locker room. You know, I was hearing all this, that I was a problem in the locker room. I was like, wow. Like, well, let me, let, me, let me tell you this. As a media person, I am that person who steps up. I'm, I'm one of the biggest Ray Allen fans around. I'm the one that keeps saying, Ray Allen, the next jersey has to be retired. It's going to be Ray Allen's here in Boston because you were such an integral part. It wasn't the big two. It was the big three. And to me, defending you, I hear people get so emotional about it. And, well, Ray left and he did that. I say he was a free agent. He played his ass off. He gave an example. What more did you want him to do? He, he like Bill Belichick said, "You did your damn job." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you, you think about it because I I had a I had a interview with um, some guy out of Boston, and and you know he wanted to kind of run me through the mud in the interview, and you know try to make me look like a an idiot or a clown, or whatever. You know, that's what I said to him. I was like, he, he was like, you left us. I was like, I, I played five years. I was, a, you know, I left as a free agent. Like, can you not leave after you're a free agent here and go somewhere else? Like, I, you know, I've watched, you know, the situation unfold. You know, I've seen what happened with Isaiah Thomas. You know, I've seen what happened with Al Horford. Like, I get it. You know, people might have felt a different way about me. Um, but it, always in the Spain, we we are players that have to decide what's best for us because the organizations move forward. They trade you, they get rid of you, they cut you. And so it wasn't it wasn't a knock on anybody, it wasn't disrespectful. I wasn't mad at anybody when I left. It was simply put, like if you're not moving forward in the direction of what we need as the Allen family, then we have to move on and find what we need to find for ourselves so we can be successful. And you know, it's it, it was a shame because the Boston was the place that, that I loved playing. Like, you know, I finally felt like I was somewhere that, you know, when you're moving through the city, although it was tough being a Celtic, you know, you knew that every night people were tuning into the games. People were like rabid about what was going on with the Boston Celtics and everything. And, 
that to me was like, it is special. Like you have to be a special breed of character to play there. That's why, you know, I, I watched the whole, uh, the saga with Kyrie Irving and it was so interesting because I said, there's a lot of people here that are watching him and, you know, on the team they're gone, but you know, once he's gone, it's going to be a different scenario because you have to be a certain breed of character, like to be in that uniform and not only to play great basketball every night, but you, you have to be stand there and do interviews and, and, and be a leader. And, and, you know, being a Celtic is a different, it's a different animal from anywhere else that I've ever played because you, there's competing papers that demand the, the, the consistency out of you. They demand the, your, your ability to be transparent and, and speak with the media. And if you can't do that, the fans see that right away. And, and they're, in a sense, they run you right out of town. Well, the, the, well, before I let you go, man, it was absolutely a pleasure having you. And, and I'm going to say this and make sure it said to your face here. I'm going to call KG. I'm going to talk to KG my damn self. I'm, I'm, because when I was at Paul's retirement, I was hoping so much you'd be there. And as a family member, as a legend with this organization, I don't give a damn about all this other stuff. But I want you back here, and I want the fans to appreciate you like I do, because I know there's so many fans that do appreciate you as a player. And if you ever, if you get the chance to come back and, and KG gives you a call, I hope you guys can talk about it as men, squash it and get on with your lives and, and, and come to his retirement and get the love I think that you deserve. And when I say this, Max, and, and I said this a little bit earlier, but I never had any ill will towards, uh, for, towards Kevin, you know? Uh, I, this was never, this is not a two, two way argument or debate. You know, this is him. He dug his heels in the sand and he decided that I'm not a brother of his anymore. And so I, I said, cool. I, I mean, I, I moved forward, you know, I have a family, I'm retired and I move on and I'm not going to go anywhere where I'm not wanted. And, and I do believe that that sentiment, you know, I, I've it been relayed, you know, quite often you know through social media from uh so many different outlets so it's it's easy you know because even with the Paul situation you know how many people told me to stay away from Boston and then when Paul's jersey retirement everybody got mad at me there was never invited and so I didn't even know when it was um so yeah I would have loved you know because you, you share those moments with, with those guys and they, they, they did special careers, but you know, there's so many more, so much more politics behind it, you know, and, and it's just about men just having conversations and saying, you know what, that I don't have any beef or there's no situation, you know, I don't feel some kind of way uh, towards you, but you know, you don't, you don't walk into a, a hornet's nest when, you know, people, you know, have vendettas against you. And that's kind of how it's been for me uh, for the last, you know, nine years. And so I just support my family is very important. I got to make sure that I do what I do. Well, good luck to you, my brother. I appreciate you coming on with me. You have a good one. Stay safe. All right, Max. Thanks for having me on. The big girls love that. Chicks love the last shot opportunity. Somebody give me a napkin so I can wipe my mouth. Ah.